All right, folks, back here, joined uh, by former Lieutenant Governor Meade Treadwell. How you doing? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Pretty good. It's uh, the weather. Can't beat it. It's, uh, you know, it's the longest summer of my life in Alaska in terms of uh, just having real summer. It's Have you ever? Pretty good. I've been here 15 years. I mean, I, there was 04, 05 summers were kind of pretty pretty, pretty good. But do you remember it being this hot ever? I mean, this is we're sitting records all, all over the... I remember Hello. hot days, but I, you know, they were usually punctuated by big thunderstorms. You know, occasionally you'd have those things rolling through. Uh, you know, we'd have great Mays and Junes, and then July first, it would start raining for a month, and then, you know, August was back and forth, and September would be really crisp, clear weather. Um, we've got some signals. We'll get September in September. Maybe it won't come till October. Yeah, we'll I mean, it's, we've set. I think the record for the most days over seventy. We've set records for the hottest day. I think it was 90 one day this summer. It was, it was crazy. Um, so, yeah, let's talk. I want to talk to you about your uh, when you were lieutenant governor, and then you've been involved in some business things before and after that. And, sure. Um, you're, you know, you ran for governor last year. So how did you get into – because before you ran for lieutenant governor, you hadn't ever been elected to anything, right? No, I've had a 44-year career in Alaska and four years of it in an elected office. Unlike a lot of them who have maybe, – maybe it's the right. opposite. Yeah, and, you know, part of it was uh, uh, influence of both my dad and Governor Hickel. Governor Hickel, you know, said at one point, as a young guy, he wasn't going to walk on 4th Avenue until he could walk as an independent guy. And I always felt it was important to be involved in politics, involved in policy, but, uh, you know, not really to get out there and try to run for office until you could tell tell people what you, th- uh, what you thought and, and kind of keep your integrity by not being in a situation to be bought off and you you knew uh you were pretty close with wally hickel right he uh he gave me my first job here uh in 1974 invited me back to be his press secretary in 1977 wow uh, then i worked with him <clears throat> from 1982 to uh actually we had tried he he also introduced me to the arctic we went across the russian arctic in 1981 1982 i became an officer of his gas pipeline venture until 1989 1990, I became a member of his cabinet, deputy commissioner of environmental conservation. Uh, 1997, he asked me to help him start the Institute of the North. In the meantime, he so was, you you uh, you knew he, you knew Wally pretty yeah. In the meantime, he was a co-investor with me in uh, uh, several different ventures. That, that 90 or 80, I guess what 90 campaign um, was pretty weird because he ended up running as a Alaska Independence Party, right? Yep. And with uh, Jack Coghill. Yep. And then there was. It was a three-way race that that year, wasn't it? Yep, because he was governor what, in the sixties or he was he was the state second governor. He beat Bill Egan for re-election in nineteen sixty-six. Served from sixty-six through sixty-eight, and then uh, became secretary of interior in nineteen sixty-nine, seventy. He had the issue with uh, Nick Nixon, right? With the uh, yeah, the, he the, had, war, the war. Well, you know, there there are right reasons and a real reason sometimes that people do things. The right reason was that Hickel's letter to Nixon complaining about the Cambodia invasion uh-huh. um, and saying students uh, ought to be heard. Uh, you know, you, you shouldn't just dismiss these demonstrators. Uh, was was published. It was leaked before the president got it, which was probably intentional on somebody's part quote unquote leaked right sometimes yeah i I mean there's the you know that's that's one of the great mysteries of uh of of hickel history 
there. And then, uh, uh, but but he also was very very tough on the oil industry, and not in a way to be anti-production. He was working like crazy to get Taps pipeline built. Actually, uh, uh, but but he also took oil companies to the grand jury and first really criminalized environmental uh, infractions. Uh, a grand jury on uh, uh, oil spills in the Gulf of Mexico when people were <clears throat> avoiding what was in the regulations. So uh, Nixon would come to see him afterwards. Uh, Nixon Nixon actually showed up at his house uh, to ask him to second his nomination for re-election of the president in 1972. And uh, when when the White House called and said the president would like to meet you, he said, well, I live at 1905 Lusack Drive. Uh, you know, I'll meet you at the front door. And the president of the United States came to the front door of Nixon's house, or of Hickel's house, to ask him to second his nomination. Here in Anchorage? Here in Anchorage. Was he flying through, or did he come just for that purpose? Or He came also to meet Emperor Hirohito, who was, uh, was making his first landfall on, on U.S. soil. And so that was, uh, that was the reason for Nixon to come wow. to Alaska. Were you, were you here then, or were you? No, no, that was uh, 1972. I, I was... Uh, Let's see, 16 years old in 1972. I actually went to the Democratic convention in Miami that year doing what you're doing right now, interviewing people for a radio show. Really? Uh, Do those those still recordings exist somewhere? I wish I'm actually looking for them. I I was I was carrying a tape recorder for a a, a guy named Casper Citron who did a show out of the uh, on WQXR, the radio station in the New York Times. So, you know, we interviewed Shirley MacLaine. Uh, really? Being in her bedroom while she was in her nightgown to do the interview because it was radio. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, we we got to get these. Meet, meeting we, meeting uh, Jerry Rubin and Abby Hoffman and all those. Abby, all those, really? Oh, yeah. I just read a book about Nixon, and a lot of it was, it's called Nixonland. And, you know, Abby Hoffman was oh, yeah. all no, the stuff it, with uh, the, 60s, the trials. The 60s and, were pretty crazy. But but anyway, so Hick, just get back to Hickel. For a second, so he was he was fired by Nixon in, mm-hmm. in Thanksgiving, nineteen seventy. He pretty much dared the president to fire him. He came back and he ran for governor in nineteen seventy four, um, and he lost to Jay Hammond. They had the big rematch in nineteen seventy eight, and he lost to Jay Hammond by ninety eight votes. Uh, ninety eight. Ninety eight votes. He actually won by a thousand votes on election night, and in the challenge to the election, we found ten thousand miscounted ballots. That was my first dose of. How's, oh, because you were lieutenant governor way later, so you. Yeah, well, actually, actually, that that year I had a big fight. You can go back and read the state supreme court records. They said of all the challenges that Hickel made to the election, there was one that uh, uh, that really should have held water, except that Meade Treadwell had done something different, uh, had asked for something different, and therefore he, Hickel couldn't sue on it. So that was my first name. The first time my name was in the supreme court records. Uh, and that was 78. So anyway, Wally, Wally lost, Hammond was reelected. If you read Jay's biography, he said he almost resigned when he found that Bob Atwood, the publisher of the Anchorage Times, and hired me to go down and cover him. And then six months later, there was a letter from Hammond's people saying to the publisher of the Times, Meade's the best reporter cover, ever covered us in Juneau. And then two months after Wait, that— so you, you, you covered politics in Juneau as a reporter? Yes, sir. Yeah. I never knew that, really. I, I was the lead political writer for, for- the Anchorage Times. Won an investigative reporting award so you were, with, a, with a team. Were you around during the uh, newspaper wars? Oh, very much so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've heard stories. Like David Hewlin once was telling me, there's a book, I think, uh, what's the old publisher of the ADN a long time ago? K. Kay Fanning. 
uh, was maybe somebody I'm trying to think who it was, but there's a book about this whole yeah a, yeah Kay Fanning was the publisher about this whole newspaper wars. Oh yeah yeah, it was big, big time. And so I was you know we had the afternoon paper, the Daily News was the morning paper. Uh, we had five time zones in Alaska then, so I could I you know I could file my last story around noon Juno time, and as you know most most of the big stuff that happens in a session usually happens in the morning. Uh, you know, and uh, then there's hearings in the afternoon, so I could I could file a story on a on a vote that day and to be in in people's uh, living rooms that afternoon. When know, did that, they consolidate down to one time zone? Uh, that happened in the Sheffield administration, 1982 or so. Smart, smart. I mean, yeah, it really did uh, change the way we do business in the state. So you had, the illusion is one end of the thing, and then Juno is the other end. Right. Yeah. You had uh, uh, actually, if I if I recall correctly, and I may be wrong, um, Juno was on uh, California time, and then there was Yukon time where Yakutat was. And then Yukon. There, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there was Alaska Standard Time, which is where Anchorage was, and then there were two more time zones going going out west. Yukon time. Wow. Yukon time. Yeah. So so you had I never I didn't, never realized you were a reporter. I, I knew you had been doing stuff with Hickle, but I didn't know yeah. you were. Um, yeah, no. So I, I worked with Wally. I worked for Bob Atwood, who was head of the Statehood Commission, as his as his lead political writer. The team at the Anchorage Times. Uh, there's still some some people who uh, covered Juno are still around. Dan Sadler worked there a little bit after. Uh, yeah, I, I knew he was a reporter. Um, uh, Sheila Toomey's first uh, when she did the ear. Uh, oh yeah, people I miss, remember the ear. You know, miss that. Uh, her first job was with Public Radio. Carl Oles, who's still around, works for Veronica Slazer. At uh, 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 the North Star Group, uh, Carl, Carl, and Sheila and I had our first day uh, as reporters in the Capitol Press Room, which is now where the I think it's the Farron Camp Room, mm-hmm. right there on the. Was uh, Larry Persley or was he of the Empire? Actually, Larry, uh, Larry, and Craig Medrid were down at the Empire. Oh, Craig, uh, yeah, yeah, Craig's still he's still doing his blog. Yeah, Craig, Craig did a great story that year about sailing up the Inside Passage. It was a fun series of stories, and uh, Larry was editor of the Empire and uh, 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 or, or became editor around that time. I've known you for like ten years, and I never knew you were a reporter. I just never knew that. Oh, wow! We we got to find those Mead tapes. Well, there's, from the, there's, from the there's, convention. There's, well, the tapes. Yeah, I'm not much on the tapes. I did a couple of shows there, uh, but I was I was basically the technical guy carrying the tape recorder uh, while while the you know the WQXR newscaster was uh, and it's raise it up a little bit then. You know, we're we're there. So anyway, so uh, let's fast forward. You uh, 2010, there was a, a election, and I think it was. What's the guy from Fairbanks? Uh, Jay Ramis. Jay Ramis, you, and was it just you two? Or was it somebody else? Eddie Burke was in it. Eddie Burke, oh yeah. Yeah. He's still around, he's a he's a character. He's a, he's, he's got a great radio show. He does, yeah. yeah. And I see him at some Republican meetings sometimes. Yeah, and there, there were a couple others. And uh, um, I had uh, considered running for governor, a lieutenant governor, the year Sarah Palin ran. and uh, The first time or the second? Uh, the, she she ran for lieutenant governor the year that Frank Murkowski was elected. 2002, yeah. And then yeah. she challenged and beat Frank Murkowski in that year. And I really wasn't going to challenge uh, challenge Frank. I think he'd made some wrong decisions. So I thought about running for lieutenant governor. Um, and uh, um, 
uh, when Sarah ran and, and won, Sean Purnell was her lieutenant governor. He became governor in 20, uh, 2009. When she resigned, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Craig Campbell advanced to become a lieutenant governor. Uh, I remember writing Craig a check, urging him, you know, I'd worked with him a whole lot in bringing missile defense to Alaska. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually right before he was kind of put in the selection queue for uh, Lieutenant Governor, the two of us were addressing a conference in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill on missile defense. And he said, well, I'm going to Kosovo with the Governor Palin to meet our troops over there. I think it was Kosovo. And uh, he came back, and a few days later, he was on the list to succeed the governor in case the or succeed the lieutenant governor in case the lieutenant governor moved up. And su- su- successor, right? Yeah. yeah. And then not too long after that, uh, Sarah resigned, and Sean became governor. And Craig, after a few months of being lieutenant governor, decided he didn't want to do it. He'd, he had filed for election, had uh, was going to run for it, and decided not to. And we had a conversation, and I decided to throw my hat in the ring. Wow. So to, you were considering it before, four years prior, and then you, right. I guess, longer than that. And then um, you ran. So Ram was he, Ram, Ram was, was a legislator, right? Yeah. Representative at the time. Right. Jay, Jay was a member of the House from Fairbanks. You know, it's Pike's Landing up there. He's done a beautiful job with his hotels. He, He'll give you a cookie or something, right? In the, yeah, I mean. The, the ice cream. Know, so the commercial before it, it was. You know, pretty much every inch of that hotel is something creative. Uh, yeah, I've been there. I've always liked Jay. And, you know, it could be the cookie they give you when you check in. It could be the ice cream voucher they give you on a hot summer night. It could be the uh, the, the golf range where you can whack golf balls across the Chena River. It's, you know, it's got a lot of fun stuff at this hotel. So 2010, you were running against Jay, but then there was Ralph Samuels, uh, Sean Parnell, and Bill Walker. He ran as a in the primary. That's correct. And then, uh, so th- that was your first campaign, right? You you had run. Yeah, for, run I, a- I had thought about running for governor, and it wasn't because I didn't like Sean personally. I just didn't think he was communicating as 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 well as he could have. And uh, Governor Hickel urged me uh, uh, urged me not to run. Urged me to run for lieutenant governor. He was supporting Bill Walker. Yeah, uh, I remember I, that. I had I had to be neutral in in that race, and I I. You know, frankly, uh, well, personally, I consider Bill a friend. There's there's things he did as governor that I wouldn't have done. Uh-huh. Uh, but at any rate, um, uh, I got to serve with Sean for four years. Uh, the two reasons that I that it pushed me to run is we were still trying to force our natural gas down a pipeline across Canada where the cost to get it to Calgary was far more than the gas is worth in Calgary. And the second second reason why I ran is I thought that Sarah Palin's aces on oil taxes was, uh, you know, it might have been working for the state at, at low prices, but at high prices. <laughs> Not it was, at 150. <laughs> it, was dri- it was driving away investment. It was it was confiscatory practically. And and I have friends who still believe that's the right thing that we should have done, but I don't think it is. And, uh, you know, so I was out front of Governor Parnell on both of those issues as a candidate for lieutenant governor because he was – basically sticking with the Palin policy until he, he was elected in his own right. And uh, uh, I, I was very glad to be part of an administration that changed course. So a uh, c- curious question. Um, this is something I've thought about for a long time. The lieutenant governor and governor run separately, and then they both they, win, yeah, and then they, they combine. They, they, they run in a primary, and then... then uh, in the primary, yeah, and then yeah, they combine. Yeah. So... Yeah, there's a couple times where I think you and Sean have maybe publicly gotten some like, disagreements. 
I think uh, there was. I think there was one. Well, there was a letter, I guess. Wasn't there a letter that? Yeah, there was a letter that but, was leaked. But do, do you think? Um, do Do you think? I, I I always kind of feel like it should be like the presidential. I mean, the governor would pick his person. Do you, Do you think it's good the way it is, or would you change it to where the governor picks the the running lieutenant governor? Well, uh, some some states do that. Uh, you can certainly do that. Uh, Jay Hammond did that with uh, Lowell Thomas when he ran in 1978. Actually, it's it's or 74 rather. Um, in uh, uh, in in my case, I, I have to say that uh, Sean had heard that I was thinking about running for governor, so he was probably a little suspicious of me. I made it very clear I wasn't going to run against him if he ran for reelection in 2014. I'm a man of my word, always have been, um, and. Uh, uh, you know, I was I was pleased that right before the primary, Sandy ended up showing up at a fundraiser for me in in Juneau and so forth. That's his wife, yeah, you know, his his wife. Um, and you know, when that when that letter hit that suggested that I had gone outside my lane as lieutenant governor, and 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 it, it, the public has never really been told what what caused that. But it was, I'm, I'm if you want to, I'm yeah. curious about that because I remember when it came out, it was like a big. Well, it it, it was just you know I I had. I had done a piece of constituent service work that that you know called a number of people together, uh, you know, from the sub cabinet uh, to say, "Is this what we want to do?" What sub is that? The deputy commissioners or uh, deputy commissioners or directors on okay. on, on, on an issue, and uh, um, and and Sean thought I was trying to change his policy. I didn't understand what his policy was. So I probably should have asked him uh, before that, and you know that was that. But uh, they made it as a letter of a big breach of trust and and i called my staff together and i said i've already been to high school that's i'm, I'm not here to play <laughs> I, i'm not here to play high school games in the capital and and uh, uh what i'm here to do is to help help us do the right thing on our natural resources and help us uh, uh and fulfill the other responsibilities of this office and i'm very proud of what we did otherwise i mean i uh, the governor gave me a clear mandate to go work on Arctic issues, and we got some very significant things accomplished, very significant. Uh, he gave me a clear mandate, you know, or the law gave me a clear mandate to work on the uh, uh, historical commission. We developed all the things that led to language preservation issues. Um, it, there were many times where I was asked to go ask the, uh, you know, represent the state with either the military economic development uh, issues. And on on a number of you know pretty intense legislative issues, whether it was uh, coastal zone, whether it was uh, uh, oil taxes, whether it was appropriations for certain certain things, getting the bridge across the Tanah, getting uh, ports in Western Alaska. Uh, you know, I, I worked very closely with the governor on that, so I feel so, I feel very good. It was a good four years. So, so officially, the lieutenant governor oversees elections. I, I guess there's a th- the seal thing people kind of joke about, and then yeah. a few other things. Um, like notary public, right? Isn't that something they get involved? Yeah, with? no. There's there's several administrative things, and you see the and the history of that is this is that Alaska, like Oregon, and I believe Utah, did not have a lieutenant governor in its original constitution. We had a governor and a secretary of state, right? And the secretary of state in most states handles elections, but they also handle things like corporate records, things the Department of Administration does here. Um, but, uh, after Keith Miller became governor from being secretary of state, when Wally Hickel resigned in 1969, I think it was, um, 
then uh, then they changed the title of it in the Constitution to Lieutenant Governor and kept the kept the duties of the Secretary of State as well as as well as the duties of a lieutenant governor. So in addition to the, to the duties prescribed, the governor can um, ask or basically request lieutenant governor works, in your case, on Arctic things or military. I mean, sure. He yeah. can basically say work or she can say, hey, do this or work on that or sure. on, yeah. my, on my behalf. Yeah. So I, I was in the Capitol last year for the first time covering legislature, and I, I ran into Kevin Meyer, lieutenant governor, a couple times, went into his office. Um, but day to day, I mean, it's kind of – you were there. Right? What are you – are you – Doing legislate? Are you helping with legislative things? Were you doing other well, state? If, if you think about the rhythm of the legislature, for you know, the legislature comes in in January. If it's an even numbered or an odd numbered year, they've just there's just been an election. So twice I would actually convene the legislature. Oh yeah, you do the swearing in and all swear, that, right? Swearing yeah. the legislators. Um, then uh, there begins kind of a series, and you know, you may think of them as just you know, oh, uh, this is the. This is the Dutch Harbor reception. They're going to serve King Crab, but there's there's a series of groups that come down to Juneau because they have funding at stake or so forth. And I would say that between me and the governor, we wanted to make sure that every mayor who came to town had an audience because he couldn't see every one of them. There's usually a mayor and a city council visit come down saying, you know, we're trying to get this bridge fixed or we're trying to get mm-hmm. this landfill built or we're trying to get uh, this port funded or something like that. So I did a huge amount of work at the intergovernmental level with, with our city governments our, and our borough governments. Um, there's several boards and commissions. I'd say there's, well, I mean, there's uh, maybe a hundred boards and commissions, but every single one of those boards and commissions comes up with policy recommendations for the administration and the governor can't meet with all those folks. So, uh, uh, you know, we might find out that the Transportation Advisory Commissions in town, or the Senior Housing Commissions in town, or the, uh, uh, and these are people who are Alaskans who are volunteering their time and they're working on trying to make life better for Alaskans. I know, often, I know, I know about board. Place. I had my own little uh, yeah. story with boards yeah, and commissions. Yeah, we watched that. <laughs> yeah, we watched that. But, Speed, Speedogate. <laughs> yeah, but the, the 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 point being is you you work with the boards and commissions uh, to do that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, receiving of, of, of people who are coming to the state who want to build projects or build international trade or that sort of thing. So did you ever uh, – A lot, lot of stuff to do in the Capitol. Did you ever have – sometimes you hear about some of these meetings that get – no one knows how they got set up and ends up being like a bizarre meeting. Do you ever get any of those or were your people pretty good about kind of vetting? Sometimes you hear people, you know, they get a meeting and all of a sudden it's like, why am I here? What's going on? Who like what's Why am I here? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, if, if uh, you know, there's one joke among my staff that, uh, you know, I might ask for something or say yes to something, and then, you know, somebody might write in the margin, DWP, devil wears Prada. And it's like, <laughs> why is me even taking this meeting? And I guess my attitude is this. You're an elected official. Citizens of Alaska come down. They, they will have a question. Uh, or they they want to make sure their voice is heard and they'll do it. There were a couple where I thought there might be a security risk, so we made sure that that you know that, that the people were vetted or that sort of thing. There were there was one which which actually kind of threw me for a loop. I loved it. Uh, uh, a group from a, a group of people who live outside the city of Nanana called and said uh, uh, the Constitution here says we have the right to petition our government. Where do we lodge our petition? I said, well, if you send me a petition, I'll put it in the vault. But actually, what I think you want me to do is <laughs> circulate it around the, the the state. I said, what's your petition about? And they said, we don't want the Boundary Commission to extend the borders of the town to include our cabins in the woods. 
because uh, we don't want to have to pay taxes and be subject to Nana police power. We moved here to be away from that kind of stuff. And I heard them out. Sounds reasonable. Uh, uh, transmitted their views to the Boundary Commission and, uh, uh, you know, did it. But, I mean, it was it was literally something where they took it from a constitutional standpoint. And it, was, it, it was a fun meeting. Did they ever extend the boundary? Or? Uh, I don't think they have. Nice. Um, so since you were lieutenant governor, you've um, – even I think before that you had – didn't you help – do the Google camera? Yeah, as the I camera say, they use for my, the my, Earth? My, my career, Jeff, is, I've had four years in elective office and 40 years mostly in business in the in the state of Alaska. Um, I went to Harvard Business School and turned down a fantastic job in venture capital in Silicon Valley. And, uh, you know, the first few years, I'm sure I would have made more money here the then then they started you know the dot-com boom happened and it was nuts but that's that's not the point i was living where i wanted to live i live in alaska where i can be 40 minutes from a ski hill where i can be uh very close to a fishing stream i can uh, go hunting i can uh hike in the i can climb mountains uh i can raise a family in a in in a great space so I, i never really was upset with that but i was always been interested um in fact, I just published an op-ed piece today about, you know, the defense industry in, in a journal back east. But, uh, you know, around my kitchen table as I was growing up, I had a, uh, my dad was mayor of our town. My dad died when I was 15. My mom, a few years later, remarried. And, and the guy she married, my stepfather, was head of flight tests for Sikorsky. So if you've ever oh, the been rescued by an S-61 helicopter or used it in Iraq or whatever, that, that was, you know— Many issues about that helicopter is it was being designed and tested and, and flown off uh, against uh, uh, Boeing. Uh, were talked about around our dining room, uh, our dining room table, and uh, another guy at our dining room table from time to time was a guy named Robert Fulton, and he's a, he was a, a artist and inventor who built a flying car. Uh, developed the skyhook that uh, not only rescued people out of the jungles of Vietnam and took CIA spies off ice flows in the uh, in the Arctic Ocean, but uh, you can see the skyhook used in Batman or in a in the Green Beret movie or in uh, um, oh that's out uh, yeah Thunderball the, that's, that's, how, yeah, that's yeah. how Thunderball ended. Anyway, the the point is I've always loved inventors, you know, and. Uh, uh, so I've always been interested in that whole thing of how do you take an invention, a new thing, and make it make it happen. Um, I was a very early investor in cell phone technology. Have three times headed a cell phone company, or, or headed a company that owned a cell phone company. Uh, I uh, uh, worked on. I, I chair right now the uh, uh, Polar Advisory Board for Iridium, the satellite company. We just launched 75 satellites. Were those phones like the old the, the old bag phones? When I was a kid, they had the, the cell phones that were kind of in a bag with a huge battery. Yeah, or? at the beginning of cell phone life, it was it was like carrying around a brick. Pro- probably uh, a probably a radiate. Uh, you know the radiation. radiation. Yeah, <laughs> those big, remember those big what, huge yeah. brick things people yeah, used to. Yeah. But anyway, so so I had uh, I had the opportunity in 19. Uh, Actually, in the early '90s, I had an opportunity to put a camera in space, and we had a we made a deal with the Russians on the Mir, and we were going to start a kind of a nomadic. Oh yeah, Mir. Remember that that when it came and crashed, didn't it, or burned up? Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a small space station. It was one of the first space stations. We had Skylab that crashed. They had Mir that crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, with with the guy who started that, I helped start a company called Digimark, which is now listed on the Nasdaq. 
uh, went public in 1999. Uh, every dollar bill in your pocket uh, and every piece of currency from any place you might get it besides like North Korea, uh, we've watermarked against counterfeiting. So you own uh, part of the comp- you own part of the company or? Well, I was uh, yeah, I was a co-founder and officer of the company, and I've uh, sold most of my stock in it. But yeah, after it went public, yeah, nice. Ooh. And then uh, then there was a company called uh, called Immersive Media that we started uh, that was took the spherical camera that a, f- a friend had invented, and uh, we commercialized it and sold it into the security community and into the intelligence community. It was used to map Iraq and Afghanistan, and yes, we did pioneer Street View for Google. Yeah, I remember years ago when I yeah. we talked about that. Yeah, and the company is now owned by Digital Domain, which is uh, one of one of those companies uh, that makes uh, um, uh, that that does movie stuff and so forth. So yeah, I've, I've heard of them. Yeah. So I mean, we're coming up. We can do a little longer, but uh, I think I'm going to do a second, maybe a third podcast with you because there's so much more I want to talk. I know you're working on now the. Um, this yeah, ra- so just, ra- railroad just thing, real right? So I, I, after I was lieutenant governor in 2014, I, I lost the Senate race to Dan Sullivan and Joe Miller and uh, good guys. Um, and uh, That was a weird one. I remember that one. Yeah. Um, a lot of energy. I uh, then then uh, joined a company called PT Capital, which was the first Arctic-focused private equity fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, PT Capital is headed by Hugh Short, has done some amazing things, raised raised in terms of direct investment, co-investment, several hundred million dollars, and we ended up buying you know, a group of hotels in Iceland, a group of hotels in Finland, the largest wireless firm in Iceland, uh, a group of uh, 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 remote camps and, and, and uh, hotels uh, on the North Slope, a uh, helicopter company, a number of different things. And Part of my job was to work with strategic clients of the firm uh, who were putting their businesses together. So when I left the firm to run for governor, and uh, there were two strategic clients, one I developed that hadn't become a client yet called uh, Lloyd's Energy that's working on some LNG ideas off the North Slope. And the other is uh, Alaska to Alberta Railway, which is proposed a rail link to the lower 48. Yeah, I was in Juneau um, when the one... There was two of them, but the one guy came and spoke at the, one of the committees. I think you were there, too, that I ran uh, into you on the street. You reported that I was there testifying and that Sean was there testifying. But did you, did, did Mr. Lansfield feel it was important to talk, talk about the content of what we had to I, say? I, I actually now, wanted on, to, the, the, I wanted to, but the guy was, I think he left the next day. Because I actually wanted to do a podcast. Well, you could, you, you could have been in the hearing, and uh, I, I, I'm I was, I, I was, I, I'm winking my eye right now. I, 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 I was in one of the hearings. I enjoy your stuff. I guess all I'm saying is that, you know, here, here we were laying out a new... $13 billion project that's going to put thousands of Alaskans to work and, and be a game changer for our economy. Um, and I got two lines in the landmine because it's not important stuff. Well, no, it's imp- I, I, I do want to talk about that more, yeah. and I'm interested in it. Uh, I think I did write that uh, Sean's a guy I want to party with because he had that GQ picture. And I think he was wearing a, a – I think it was a Patek Philippe watch, which I'm not sure, but it looked he looked, he looked like somebody – who could probably have a good time, but he owns a couple of really fast cars and a, a very nice jet. So all, all, all I can say is he's uh, it, what's what's Alaska should consider herself lucky. What's our situation is right now is the government of Alberta did a study about five six years ago that said one of the options to move product out of Alberta that it can't get out of Vancouver. There's now a tanker ban on oil uh, out of British Columbia. There's uh, there's constraints in the ports in Western Canada to, to get resources to market in the Pacific. And so there's an advantage of actually using 
ports in Alaska and bring this stuff up. And so there, because there's an economic premise to build this railroad, we're working to get the basic permits to de-risk the project to then go out to the global community. Would this be a passenger as well or just, just cargo freight? You can certainly carry passengers. Uh, you know, That'd be fun to take you know, Anchorage to Lower 48 by really fun. I agree with you. And, you know, we ought Europe, to get, we ought, we ought to get the business car and have a party while we did it. I mean, the point, the, the point I'm getting at here is you're going to build a $13 billion railroad in the private sector. You're going to have to earn 3 or $4 billion a year in gross revenues to, to pay for operations mm-hmm. and to cover that. Uh, I think the Alaska Railroad's revenue from passengers is somewhere around $30 million now. I don't think, uh, and and I don't know what it is across Canada on the Via Rail. All all I can say is that it, that's not really material to the economics of the railroad. I mean, it certainly can happen, but it's got to be freight that that pays for it. And ra- rail is one of the cheapest ways to move move freight around. Yeah, globally, and, and, right? and our ports in South Central, you know, Anchorage, Matsu Port, uh, uh, Anchorage is now called the Port of Alaska, the Matsu uh, Port, Port McKenzie. Uh, Valdez, uh, Seward, Whittier, these ports are essentially in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And so if you land goods, say, from Asia here, put them on a rail that are headed toward a factory on the East Coast or Midwest, they can be there and uh, working in the factory before they might have ever been unloaded at Long Beach or that much closer. So uh, I think it's a, a huge advantage for Alaska for bringing goods into North America as well as taking goods out. Well, I think we should do definitely do another podcast because I did, didn't yeah. Hickel was he the one with the with the with the idea of the uh, rail under to Russia? So underwater. So so, so, that- so Wally's attitude was let's talk about a railroad around the world, and he said I, I heard him say it a million times. I'll quote him directly: "It may not ever happen in my lifetime, but we should never stop talking about it." And you know, it helps people understand our, loca- our location. In this case, I think we've found a group that will has put up real money, tens and tens of millions of dollars, to to get to to actually make something like this happen. And uh, you know, connecting us to the lower forty eight means that uh, you know, if you ever did find a reason to connect with the Russian rail, and they still have probably a thousand miles to go before they would ever reach the Bering Strait themselves. Um, uh, you know, if there were an economic premise there, uh, there's certainly an economic premise now. Well, there's that new the, the 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 road they're working on now, where you can basically the the plan would be you'd be able to drive from London or take freight from London to Vladivostok. Hey, my uh, friend Robert Fulton around my kitchen table 45 years ago did that in a motorcycle. It's been done. Right, but they were trying to expand it so you could actually take you know there's oh, sure. part of the roads yeah. it's. Like no, you can do a bike, yeah. but you couldn't do a car or a truck. What we will definitely see in the 21st century is, you know, Russia and China both absented themselves from global transportation networks in the 20th century. Correct. Russia Correct. didn't really want any. Well, even the, even the train tracks are different. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. They have to, I've been on Ukraine. You get off, you have to, they yeah. jack the train up and they move the wheels. Yeah. Anyway, it's always fun to talk to you. Um, and uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, no, I want, I want to do it again. There's so much more to talk about, Mead. Well, thank, thanks for doing it. I've been asking you for a long time, so I'm glad I was able finally to get you. So appreciate it, and uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. And, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me, let me know, and we'll uh, talk to you next time. Let's